people are clearly pointing the finger, oh, it's celibacy. Anybody with brains knows that's not the case. This is part two of a two-part look at the sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. Why has sexual abuse proven to be so rampant in the Catholic Church? There's been a lot of speculation that celibacy is at the root of this crisis. But some members of the clergy are saying that's not true. It's something else. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. In the last episode of this podcast, in part one, we spoke with Leona Huggins. Now, back when she was a kid in the 1970s, she was sexually abused by a priest. He isolated me, and the um, the abuse lasted a long time and was really hard to disentangle from. I spoke to her following the grand jury report in Pennsylvania that revealed shocking details of widespread sexual abuse in that state. We are going to begin here with what appears to be the largest abuse scandal to shake the American Catholic Church yet. This morning, Catholics around the world are processing a stunning report out of Pennsylvania. After a two-year investigation, a Pennsylvania grand jury today alleged decades of abuse of children. More than 1,000 children were abused. The stories of abuse by men who are given the highest level of trust are grotesque. And the report says church leaders protected the priests in a cover-up that went all the way to the Vatican. A message from Pope Francis to the victims of clergy sex abuse in Pennsylvania. He is on their side. Priests were raping little boys and girls, and the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it all. A child was stripped naked and forced to stand on a bed and pose as Christ on the cross. The Vatican calls the sex abuse criminal and morally reprehensible. One priest confessed to raping at least 15 boys, some as young as seven years old. We should emphasize that while the list of priests is long, we don't think we got them all. This report is just the beginning battle of the overall war. Victims should know that the Pope is on their side. Those who have suffered are his priority. There are two words that can express the feelings faced with these horrible crimes, shame and sorrow. So when you hear statements from the Pope, from cardinals, from archbishops, and we heard a lot of statements after the news broke about what had been going on in Pennsylvania, after all the things you've experienced, do they sound sincere to you when members of the church say, we're, we're shocked, we, we're devastated, we're outraged by the abuse that's gone on? Do those statements sound sincere to you? No, it, it, it sounds sincere, it absolutely sounds sincere, but it rings hollow in the ears of survivors who have been working to have their stories heard. All, they've worked tirelessly tirelessly to be heard and um, their voices you know it's it's thanks to social media that our voices have been able to join together and there are now people all over the world that are finding their voice and recognizing that they're not alone they are part of a global crisis in the church like Leona I wanted to hear more from the Catholic Church than just a statement I wanted to have a conversation so we reached out to Father Rosica. He's the founding CEO of Salt and Light Television, 
That's Canada's first national Catholic television network. I read the articles that you sent me, and it really seems as though there's a lot of soul-searching that's happening right now in the Catholic Church. This is a time of, some would say, a massive crisis. It's a time of purification. It's a time of honesty. And it's a time to take stock of what has happened. The implications of that, first and foremost, on the victims, that's our primary concern. Secondly, what, how to make sense out of all of this for faithful people. I mean, some would say this is simply a problem in the United States. This is a worldwide problem. Canada has faced this problem, in fact, in a very straightforward, open way in the 1980s and early 1990s, when we had our own disaster in Newfoundland and other places. And so the United States explosion really started in 2002, when you had the revelations of Boston, which ended up being uh, on screen with the movie Spotlight. And just when people thought, okay, we've got a handle on this, there's the Dallas Charter of the Bishops, Zero Tolerance, then we have the events of this past summer. The accusations are stunning in scale. More than 1,000 victims of more than 300 Roman Catholic priests. For decades, they escaped justice because of a systematic cover-up that included high-ranking church officials and allegedly went all the way to the Vatican. One-time Papal Ambassador Carlo Vigano claiming Francis knew seminarians accused former Newark Archbishop Theodore McCarrick of sex abuse, but chose to lift secret restrictions placed on McCarrick by Pope Benedict. The allegations are causing a storm in the church, says Reuters Vatican correspondent Philip Polella. There's going to be a war coming and people are sort of choosing which side they're going to be on. So what do we make of all of this? Let's go back to the beginning. The Catholic Church is deeply committed to the protection of minors, of vulnerable adults, and we have put in place in many, many countries stringent procedures, policies, programs, protection programs for all of those working with minors, with vulnerable adults. That has been in place. With so many awful stories of abuse, I'm wondering what measures exactly have been put in place and how effective they've been. Okay. As criminal, as evil, as horrendous those events are, we're talking about events that happened in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. There are very few, maybe two or three, after the Dallas Charter. The Dallas Charter becomes the key word of what happened in the United States in 2002 when everything came to light. Today, we bishops recommit ourselves to placing the protection of your children first. And I am confident that the work we will do together over the next few days here in Dallas and every day thereafter will confirm that promise with solid action to provide for the safety of your children in the church. And so as horrendous as the stuff is, The things that came to light in the Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania grand jury report are past things that are still horrendous. So what do we make of that? We can say that from 2002 onward, the American bishops have implemented a zero-tolerance policy, and there have been huge measures put in place to make sure that this never happens again measures for priests, anybody working with children, with minors, with vulnerable adults, all of that has been in place 
and we have gone forward with that. The problem with the Dallas Charter is that everything applied to priests and pastoral ministers, seminarians or whatever, but nothing applied to bishops or cardinals. And so in this next round now, what we're going to have to do, and what the Pope is seriously speaking about, is how do we hold bishops and those higher cardinals accountable for what has happened? Now what the Catholic Church has to do is to say, who is account- who, to whom are the bishops accountable, and what about those bishops who have clearly obfuscated, covered, not been transparent, moved people around, and have not abided by the Dallas Charter? And there are some that have not done that. And that's the big thing that's going to happen now. And there's got to be major transparency. There's got to be clear-cut things, and we have to be honest with the people. And future boards or groups or review boards or whatever must include, must continue to include in some cases, and must include competent lay people, FBI people in the case of the United States, police officials, psychiatrists, doctors, very competent lay people, and church leaders together that are looking at these situations as they come up. You called for transparency, and the victims that I've spoken to, the survivors that I've spoken to, one thing that they've repeatedly called for is names to be released, names of of everyone who's known to have been a perpetrator, those names to be released, and the doors to be thrown open. Do you think that the Catholic Church will do that? Well, the Catholic Church has already done that in the case of Pennsylvania, and in many other states, I'm speaking now about the United States, and we're seeing now requests that grand juries go into Illinois and other places and review all of the cases. And so there is a desire and a willingness to do that. In Canada, and I think we've got to make the distinction here, this, the, the details that we've heard these past weeks are primarily from the United States. We have had horrendous cases in Canada and names have been revealed, perpetrators have been revealed, and policies have been revealed, and we've shown how we've taken care of victims and how we support those who are survivors. Do you mind if we go back a little bit first, I guess really, sure. to the root of the problem? How ah, did this good. all come to be? I mean, some people have said, you know, the problem with priests and those in power in the church abusing children can be blamed on right. celibacy. We hear that a right. lot. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's an easy target. You know, when a crisis happens like this or any other crisis, there's the basic human instinct. What caused this? We have to blame. We've got to put our finger in something. We've got to get to the bottom of this. And as in any situation, we often we pull straws and we say, we've got to blame this, and it's this. And so the most obvious thing that many people do is, well, of course, this is caused by celibacy because priests can't get married or whatever. That is absolute nonsense. Celibacy, when it's fruitfully lived and it's lived for others, I live celibacy, most of my priests, all my priest friends live it. I know many people who have lived celibacy and have had very good, rich lives, okay? The issue is not celibacy. I I recently had to write and speak on our television network and then write a major essay on this. And I really believe if you want to go to the bottom of this, and see what is causing all of this. The Pope has spoken repeatedly since he's been in office in 2013. You know, the Pope has spoken about clericalism. So in your opinion, this comes down to something called 
clericalism, not celibacy. No, 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 no. It's very easy to point the finger, and people are clearly pointing the finger, oh, it's celibacy. You know, live celibacy, and uh, everything will be settled. Anybody with brains knows that's not the case. Or this is all because of gays. Certainly a number of the cases involve men and boys, but there's a large number of the cases that involve men and little girls and women, and that is evil and criminal as well. And so let's keep things straight here. Okay, can you explain then what is the definition of clericalism? What do you mean by that phrase? What do I mean by clericalism? Francis says this, and I'm just going to quote this wonderful line. He said, it's impossible to think of a conversion of our activity as a church that does not include active participation of all God's people. Such is the case with clericalism, an approach that not only nullifies the character of Christians, but tends to diminish and undervalue the baptismal grace. Clericalism, whether it's fostered by priests themselves or by laypersons, basically leads to an excision in the ecclesial body, the church body, that supports and helps to perpetuate many of the evils that we are condemning. So to say no to abuse is to say an emphatic no to all forms of clericalism. Is this, you know, clerics, are these people who wear a black shirt and with a white piece of a piece of plastic in it. No. The Pope speaks about clericalism in this sense. When we are so stuck inside the sacristies, inside the building, caught up with our own stuff, self-referential, we're locked in a world of privilege, prestige, and whatever, this is not healthy. This gets us sick. I mean, and what, what's been revealed through this secrecy and covering up is a club mentality, it's a corrupt system of cronyism, and I would go so far as to say it's an omerta among a certain elite in the church, whether they be bishops or priests, that this is among ourselves. We just keep this among ourselves. We don't have to be accountable to anybody. When this attitude seeps in, it infects the church. So what I'm getting is this. The fundamental problem with the church is clericalism. And that is the system of corruption that's born out of power, prestige, and privilege. An old boys club, you might call it. Exactly. That's right. But it extends outside of the clergy as well. That's correct. So if, if lay people think, well, this is a whole mess involving the clergy and whatever, it's not. This whole situation of clerical of abuse of children is all of our concern. The other thing is it's very important to realize, and I've stressed this repeatedly with groups, the greatest amount of abuse of children, of minors, takes place in families. No matter how many things of abuse, even one case of abuse in the clergy is is disgusting, it's criminal or whatever, but let's be very honest, and psychologists and psychiatrists and criminologists and whatever will tell us it's in families. Therefore, priests and lay people have to be deeply concerned with children, the, the children are the guarantee of our life in the future. It's the guarantee of the future. Ordained ministers and laypersons suffer from clericalism. If we learn anything from the current crisis facing the church, reform, healing, renewal has got to come about from every single member of the church, most especially from lay women and men who have been commissioned by baptism. Because when you're baptized, it means you are sent as an ambassador to bring salt and light, leaven and hope, agent of renewal, witness and hope to the world. That's a big, lofty calling. So how do we know if we've hit rock bottom here? 
is there still more to be uncovered? So there, there's more to be uncovered. I mean, because we're digging into the past and more things will come to light. One of the things that's happened with all of this stuff in the news, and it's, you know, wall-to-wall coverage every day, is more people who have been harmed have come forward. In my own work at the television network in the past two months, I've dealt with many people who had things happen to them years ago, and they've come forward. And many of them are not coming forward to have their story and name in the news or in grand jury reports. They want to be listened to and believed. And so I've spent a huge amount of time this summer in listening to people. Uh, One example happened to me a couple weeks ago. I had to go to Philadelphia right after the grand jury report. I was invited to go and preach for the missions of the Bazillion Fathers, my religious community. When I realized I had to go to Philadelphia, I said, oh, my God, of all days, of all, you know, this is the Sunday after the grand jury report. So I went with no small amount of trepidation. The pastor who was there said, well, you know, you don't have to preach about the situation here. I said, no, no, how can I not preach about the situation? So I wove in the whole thing of abuse, the horrific stories of the grand jury report, and I preached about the gospel that Sunday, which was the living bread come down from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus. And then I talked about the Brazilian missions. I did four masses, three in English, one in Spanish. And I was extremely moved at the door of the church in this suburban, not a suburban, a downtown parish in Philadelphia, how many people came up afterwards and said thank you. Just thank you for saying it. You're in touch with the world. You know about the situation. Because I invited people to say, the solution rests with you. It's with all of us. It's no point the finger. And be very careful, I told them, in what you're reading to make sure there's some sort of balance and perspective, even how difficult it is to read. But I can imagine that not all survivors or followers are ready yet to say thank you. The impression that I get is that there's a lot of anger out there. For many, there's anger. For many, it's impossible at least for a long, long time, to even begin to be reconciled and forgive. However, I've also dealt with a good number who have come to peace and come to terms, who pray for the perpetrator, and who continue to get on with their life in the Church. You know, we have to be, as I said at the beginning, we have to be very concerned with those who have been victimized, those who have been hurt, those who have been abused. We have to be about the work of supporting survivors to do everything we can to help them, But we also have to be about the work of reconciling them and bringing them to some kind of peace. This is not, you know, kiss and make up. How do you come to some kind of peace after you've been through trauma, and how do you move on? And there's several people I've worked with. There's a woman I've worked with in Toronto who was abused many years ago, and she's become an eloquent spokesperson, and she's even written a guidebook, a manual, for those who have been abused, and it's been of great help to people. I had the privilege of presenting it to the Pope a couple years ago. I'm really curious about how Catholics can maintain their faith during this crisis, not just how survivors are coping with their views of God and of the church, but also how average lay people, the non-ordained members of the church, are coping. The people well, that lay people, but <laughs> what about us, too? We're looking at this wondering, where the heck is the truth in all of this? Where's the transparency? I have many questions about the, the cover-up, And it's been very clear there's been some kind of cover-up at the highest level of the church, at the Vatican, and at the embassy in in Washington, the Vatican embassy in Washington. Something has clearly gone wrong. We better come clean on that. And I'm insisting we do that. And I think we've got a right to do that. 
We are a church that's supposed to be at the service of the truth, and as these stories unfold before us that are disgusting, it's very upsetting. And for somebody like me, who's worked with the system, inside the system, from the outside and from the inside, this is extremely frustrating. I imagine, I think it's safe to assume that, and correct me if I'm wrong, please do, that it hasn't shaken your faith in the existence of a God, but surely, to some degree, has this shaken your faith or belief in Catholicism itself, in the system? Oh, absolutely not. My faith is strong. You know, my faith is in Jesus Christ, and how Jesus sustains me is through the Eucharist. That's that we say in, in our language, in our lingo, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. In other words, that's it. That's where it comes from. So I've seen a lot in the church. I've been a priest 32 years this year. I'm 59 years old. Uh, I've seen an awful lot, and I've seen it from different vantage points that probably most priests haven't. Even though this is extremely jarring, nothing. You know, I, I say, like the apostles, to whom shall we go? You've got the words of eternal life, Lord. You're it. And so, yes, there's choppy waters, but the one confidence I have is that Jesus is in the boat with us, especially during the storm. And, uh, you know, prayer, prayer, fasting are two things that Pope Francis has invited us to do, and I'm doing that. But if clericalism is the problem, the structure is the problem, and that structure exists in the Catholic Church, what needs to be done then to change the problem with clericalism without fundamentally changing the church? There is no question in my mind that one thing that better come about from all of this is a greater degree of transparency and accountability at the highest levels of the Church. And I'm talking about bishops, cardinals, and the Vatican. I have a big question mark in my mind. We've already seen through 2002 and the Vatican leaks afterwards under Pope Benedict that Houston, we got a problem. You know what that, that line is from NASA and whatever. I say, Rome, we got a problem here. Clean up your act. Don't simply make demands of us. Get your act together. I want transparency. I want accountability because this and the lack of it affects the faith of Catholics. And I think the message has got to the highest level. I firmly believe the Pope knows and believes that. He's been preaching that for the past five years. A lot of the people under him have tried to resist that. And this so-called coup that they tried on the weekend will get nowhere because the Pope is a man who's rooted in Jesus Christ. He knows what he's doing, he knows what he's about, and he's going to keep on preaching and acting. And he's already put a lot of things into place, there'll be more to come. The vast majority of priests, and many bishops, and many cardinals, are extremely diligent, dedicated, holy people. And I have the privilege of knowing many of them. So they're all suffering with this. The Vatican has paid nearly $3.8 billion to survivors of sexual abuse. Since 2002, there's been substantially fewer cases of abuse reported. And for the first time, the Pope has started meeting with and listening to survivors of sexual abuse. This 
This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. You can find us on Twitter at This Is Why or email us, especially if you have story ideas. This Is Why at CuriousCast.ca. Subscribe to This Is Why on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows, and give us a rating and review. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Friday.